Hello, this is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. Today, I am talking to Estimate of the Situation. And in Estimate of the Situation, one of the creators, Tom. Um, Tom is here to talk to me about the graphic novel, which is about the history of UFOs and the government. It was created by a team of collaborators consisting of Tom, Orzu, I'm going to say it wrong, Tom, I'm going to try not to, Orzuchowski <laughs> and John Zoitos and artist Ezekiel Anastasia and Derry Fletcher. Volume 1 looked at the early days of government involvement with UFOs and was rele- released with rave reviews. Tom's here to talk about the team's stunning work, future endeavors, and UFOs. Welcome to the dojo, Tom. Hey, Deb. Uh, nice, uh, yeah, nice to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, for those who are listening, they couldn't be jealous because I met Tom in New York. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We we had coffee with uh with Dan, uh Priscilla and uh, and Grim Rendell. Yeah, um, it was quite in a little cool setting out in the city. I can only imagine like the conversations we were having because we kept bouncing around like either from John Ramirez to to you know 1947 ghost rockets and and things like that and people just must have been walking by like what the hell are they I know doing? they're missing so much. They should be joining the conversations. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, they will be, I think, very soon. Yeah, I can't help it because there's quite a lot going on with UFOs right now. But before we go into all the cool things going on with UFOs, can you please tell people a little bit more about Estimate of the Situation? Give some background to your project and maybe do a better intro than I did today. And I apologize to listeners because I am a little under the weather. So that I'm going to use it as my, my blame for that. <laughs> No, no, you you did great, especially the part about rave reviews. Um, yeah, it's uh, it started off uh, like three years ago. I um, like I was always interested in UFOs. I had a sighting, uh, I think in twenty was it twenty thirteen, um, and then prior to that, I was always just I, I I was into the idea, you know. Um, and the more I looked into it, the more convinced I got. The problem was, uh. I wasn't very equipped to talk about it with somebody. So when I would have a conversation about uh, UFO activity or the history of it or why I believe what I believe, I found myself very uh, unable to articulate that. Um, and it really frustrated me. So one day I um, I decided like, hey, I'm just going to go back to the beginning. I want to figure out for myself, really, is this real? Uh, am I? Have I just been... Uh, gullible this entire time on uh, what really happened there because um, supposedly there's all these documents and people said this and people said that so i went all the way back and i was really lucky enough to purchase a book called ufos and government um by michael swords jan aldrig uh, a bunch of other contributors there which really went through the history of the uh, the government's involvement in the uh, historical record part of either investigating UFOs or, or the statements they released and things like that. So that sent me into a rabbit hole where I was like, wow, okay, this is a treasure trove of information. Um, let me go buy these documents one by one. And then I ended up getting a cork board and like typical conspiracy fashion. I just locked myself in my room for two years and um, 
printed out these documents, these case reports one by one and tried to really figure out what was going on. And like, there was no starting point. I think I started somewhere um, around Garrett's uh, first estimate in the Pentagon uh, late in 47. And I kind of, I took that, I went further back to Ghost Rockets, to Foo Fighters, and then had somewhat of a timeline going. Um, so as I did that, uh, I, you know, I found Project Sign uh, through these documents. And, um, which is basically the government's first official investigation into the phenomena, right? They were like, what the heck is going on? Let's figure this out. I got so fascinated by this because this was government funded. Um, the people that were involved were incredibly intelligent. Uh, and, uh, you know, they actually came to a conclusion, you know, at the end of 48 uh, about what these things were, but no one really talked about it, you know? So I, I, um, I started like going deep into that and finding out who is that project sign. And then they wrote the estimate of the situation. Let's not leave that out. The estimate of the situation, <laughs> yeah. which by the way, there's no known physical copy of as of today, um, because apparently they destroyed the estimate of the situation. The reason we know about it is because one of the members of Project Blue Book later told the world about it in his book. Okay, sorry, yeah. continue. No, no, that's right. Uh, they eventually wrote the estimate of the situation, which was actually, uh, it was the estimate of the situation started earlier in, in, in 47 when they, uh, when the Pentagon first started to assess these things and what they were, and they just kept expanding on it and figuring out what it was. Um, but yeah, I found a story there and uh, I was like, this is crazy. Nobody knows about this. And then you go and you turn on a TV or something. And it's always like ancient aliens or some documentary with like X-Files type of music and talking to about, you know, like outlandish things with, uh, or no, I don't want to say outlandish, but the claims are pretty big and, there seems to be not much to back it up. Uh, and that bothered me. So I, uh, I found a story there and I started writing it. I got an artist um, that I've been working with for a while. And I'm like, hey, first started sketching out uh, some of these case reports. And next thing you know, it was like, oh crap, there's a structure here, you know, there's characters. And that whole draft, and I realized is garbage. <laughs> So I had, to, I had to rewrite it um, twice. And then finally, I hit up a friend of mine, uh, John Zoidis, who's the co-writer. And I'm like, hey, I have this draft. Uh, I've rewritten it a million times. We need to rewrite it again. But we just need to give it more structure. And John is really good because um, I went to school with John for a couple of years. He's really good at injecting the human element into a, a story like this. So we got to further flesh out the characters. We went on our own deep dive um we you know we went so far as to uh we hit up wendy connors we hit up jan aldrich um a bunch of other og researchers uh and you know god bless wendy connors she uh she's not with us anymore but like she was so instrumental in getting this off the ground for us she provided her archives of uh, uh existing family members who are related to people who are on project sign so we got to hear like you know the son of one of our main characters talk about his father and, and, and things like that. If I remember correctly, Wendy Connors also created the audio files that are now available on the internet um, for, I think it's the 
National Internet Archives or something like that, you can find her audio files that she's collected of all of her interviews. Yes, no, she, it's it, it's, and that's what I love. You know, like there's someone doing like that kind of boots on the ground work and kind of, um, oh, thunderstorm, sorry. <laughs> um, uh, like the info and it puts up the information on the archives so people can download them and use these resources and then like educate themselves about this history because what people don't talk about is that this was really part of American history. I mean, it was a global phenomenon, but it, it, in America specifically, 47 was a wild time for UFO activity and government involvement. Um, all front page news, uh, sightings all across the country uh, by both civilians, military, uh, you know, it, it, it's one of those hidden chapters, and uh, we need, I, I think more people need to know about it. I think I went down the same path as you. I really went to the government documents, and I felt like they were so intriguing by themselves. Like, mm -hmm. let's take a, like a little synopsis, for instance. Okay, the FBI, whoever wants the saucer after Roswell happens, and he gets shot down... <laughs> They say no. And he's like, we can investigate it in our lab. And they say no. And he's mad. <laughs> like, that's a really cool story. And it happened. Yeah. And it's in the FOIAs. And then the Army FOIA, which almost no one talks about, the Army UFO PDF, is the story of soldiers trying to figure out what Kenneth Arnold saw trying to figure out if it was the flying wing and going on this great adventure chasing down the creators of the flying wing right? yes the horton uh, brothers yes and it's ends in the middle like i would say not even the middle just like in the midst of this pdf there's this object that someone has given them and they don't know what it is and it's like some weird looking alien object <laughs> like it's like oh by the way we're just going to drop this here <laughs> You know, in the middle of this giant FOIA collection. Um, and then the CIA files are extensive and international. And there's so many sightings that are described there. It's so valuable. Um, lots of mass sightings, by the way, with many witnesses. Um, some really interesting ones that are parallel to things we talk about nowadays, like Tic Tacs. Um, even some ones that kind of raise your eyes <laughs> up to the sky and go what is going on like spears that have protruding parts coming out yeah. and human beings being seen in some of these objects there's also some references to the avro car which are really interesting the cia ones are probably the most extensive and interesting um and then there's uh the little collection by the nsa that is the most redacted, but constantly has uh, the statement, probably a balloon, like every single every yeah. single document when and you can tell they just use it like it was a stamp stamp, probably a balloon, <laughs> probably a balloon. And then they had one creepy one that said it's going according to plan. And that's like the only thing you can see on this heavily redacted paper. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's embarrassing, really. Um, I, I'm like, you're right. There's like these stories in there that uh, that you wouldn't find out otherwise. Like the FBI was also at one point, uh, they got fed up and decided to stop investigating UFOs completely because they realized the Air, the Army Air Force was basically using them as a cleanup crew to go 
background checks and filter out like you know the uh the quote-unquote crazies from the real people um so like once Hoover found that out he's like he got pissed off and he's like I don't want to do this anymore um, I feel like they also just kept getting the hoaxes like I yeah. actually that I won't lie that was the series that I stopped reading because I'm other than going ahead and finding the guy hotel memo, of course, which I'm like, okay, it's still just speculation, guys, calm down. But you know, the the rest of them, they're just they kept going after the hoaxes. They kept being sent to go, you know, find the created saucers that people had made and thrown into people's yards. And yeah, huge waste of resources. That's why Hoover got pissed. It was kind of funny. Uh, but like in you know, uh, in contrast, Project Sign was a very serious study and a very serious uh, you know program. Uh, the team I think consisted of uh, like the core team was like attributed to maybe like ten or fifteen people, but I think there were like two hundred people in and out um, of Project Sign, according to one of the interviews. Uh, and the people were engineers, intelligence officers, uh, too specifically like we we hone in on an estimate situation. And even McCoy said, this is something that we threw all our resources at. We really wanted to get to the bottom of this. And at least publicly, there hasn't been something like that since. Um, you know, I mean, we have the new UAP report now uh, with Arrow uh, establishing as a focal point. Uh, so you can kind of say maybe it's Project Sign on steroids because now they're, they're an intra-agency. Uh, uh thing where it's like they're they're working with the nsa the nro a bunch of other agencies so it's 75 years <laughs> yeah i just have to throw out there to the department of homeland security we're not ignoring you we're fully aware that you're involved especially because we read this little book by some people who worked at the pentagon who just threw you guys under the bus. <laughs> so <laughs> one day I hope to read your FOIAs too. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the FOIA really is our best weapon. Uh, uh, I mean, it's all we have right now, especially as we see more and more of this, at least uh, it, it looks like it's it's being more and more shoved into the private sector where FOIA, the, you can't, can't get a FOIA for anything like that. So um, that's also really interesting. And that's where the Whistleblower Protection Act comes in and um, it'll be really, I think 2023 is going to be shaping up to an be a very interesting year. So bef before we jump into this lovely array of topics for this year of what has happened and what is going to be happening, I'd really like to get back to your project and ask you what you're going to be doing next, if you can say or even hint at what you're doing next, because I, I would have loved to have like seen even more i was from you sent me a preview prior to um our discussion and i was like oh this is really cool i like this <laughs> so so what's next yeah so uh we um when we released we did a soft launch uh we did a black and white version which is not in print anymore so anyone who has one uh, consider yourself pretty lucky uh patting myself on the back um no no but like we uh we did that and we the reception we got was so overwhelmingly positive um we sold out uh twice yeah people uh, even that still email me like hey when's the next one coming out or like they'll like i started getting emails about people's theories about certain things and uh the best review i got was this elevates the topic to a different level 
right? Because we spent a lot of time on the narrative structure of this. To, like, we didn't want anything about this to not be AAA, right? Because the best way to educate anybody about this topic and, or at least like whet someone's appetite um, is show them a piece of work that's based on historically documented evidence and have them be entertained in a way where they have a story they can follow. Because like once you get in, like these documents are all over the place, like building a timeline, trying to find out what the heck actually happened uh, was a nightmare that took me like almost three years. Um, this presents it in a very like A to Z format where you don't even know you're reading documents, right? Um, so we are working on the series, which is going to be between six to eight issues. And we're halfway through issue two now. Um, so we have that going on. And the reason why we haven't printed anymore, we have a color version of book number one. We, uh, I can't say who, but, um, a very familiar agency to, I don't want to say agency, but uh, a very familiar nonprofit that, uh, people might know of, and it's definitely not UAPX, just want to throw that out there, um, has partnered with us to kind of sponsor our run for the first color version. And we're going to be giving back a good chunk of those proceeds back to that nonprofit. And it's an initiative I really support, and it ties into exactly what we're doing. So this is a way for us to give back. Um, so that that's going to take maybe two to three months because we what happened is we sold out. These are incredibly expensive to print and to make. Uh, yeah, and like, you know, just at, oh, at some point you're uh, you're losing money hand over fist. You're like, okay, we'll I have to do something. So I went overseas to a manufacturer, and we're getting a huge batch printed and shipped over here. So that's gonna um, that's already done. It's it's on a freight somewhere. So we're planning a much bigger launch. Uh, it's gonna be color. Uh, and we're going to promote it with um, hopefully uh, a series about or a series of interviews with some of these people involved, you know, that kind of, yeah, to, to, to educate uh, or not to educate, but just to put that information out there. Um, so there's that. Yeah, so we're, we're working hard on that. We also have an app coming out, uh, which is really cool. I found someone to help me build it. Oh, I think I can't hear you. I I had I'm muted. I'm muted. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, I was I was nodding for those who can't see me nodding because I'm like cool. <laughs> okay, I, I thought you were saying something. It's like oh crap. No, um, I was I um no, I am intrigued by the launch. I'm thinking, wouldn't it be cool if you could do that during say an inquiry conference in New York? that may happen in the spring how cool would that be that gives you some months to be ready and then maybe they could let you speak about it for a little bit also that'd be, <laughs> that'd be awesome i love jay um uh like i i've been to both those conferences and like it, it's just awesome because it's it's a lot of knowledgeable people i don't personally think i'm qualified to go up there and talk about this stuff like i'm just <laughs> i'm uh you know like i i there's a uh, part of the reason I'm doing this project too is there's a lot of people out there that kind of take this role of I'm going to present this information and oftentimes they don't do their due diligence or they're very loose in some of the facts and it's more about being a personality and uh, I I'm always been like let the work speak for itself you know like you, 
Yeah. And honestly, this history that you're talking about is so interesting in itself. It's so rich. It's so rich. Like, I've been reading, you know, RuPaul's, and I read um, even someone who worked with the Condon group, um, Roy Craig. And his is on, he's, okay, let's be honest, guys. He was a little skeptical, maybe a little bit more on the debunker side. But mm-hmm. his book was one of my favorites. Because it was just like so well written and so fun and like so so interesting to learn about what really happened. It wasn't like glamorized. There were no needed special effects. It wasn't like when they made the Project Blue Book show and started throwing in things that you knew were uh, part of it. That's it honestly. Sorry to cut you off. I, I had just a visceral reaction to that show. Yeah. I mean, it was it was starting so well. Like, it was starting on, on point, sort of. Like, there were some things that were a little off, of course. But, you know, like, the person that Heineck was working with and, like, the lack of other people that were involved. But, you know, I just, I was so disappointed because they started throwing in things that were just out there and had nothing to do with what was going on and what was going on is so interesting. Like, it should be a movie. The actual story of the government studying UFOs is so interesting. The Foo Fighters, the, you know, the Swedish ghost rockets, the, even the airship wave, um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Belgium wave with the triangles. Those are really interesting things that happen in our history, and they get blown away by like weird special effects and um x-files music yeah you know it's funny you mentioned that because i remember when blue book came out and the first episode i was like wow this is what i want to watch this show this i've been waiting for this and then as it went on you're like what the hell is going on like this is you know and you kind of like i work in film primarily i and you kind of understand at at that point there's probably a lot of producers in a room that don't know about this that you know, when they think Project Blue Book, they think spooky X-Files music, and we have to add that spooky element to it. But it, it's something that John says a lot, too. Um, the history is so rich and so interesting, and so already weird enough that you do not need to exaggerate it. You do not need to embellish it. If anything, our problem at first was, okay, putting it all together, what are we to talk about? Once we got all our notes together, once we start structuring it out, it was more of, oh, crap, there's so much here. What do we eliminate in order to tell this story concisely? Because it was it was just so rich. And one of the biggest reasons why EOTS, estimated uh, situation was started was, again, I wanted to find out what was going on and kind of bring that to light, at least in my own personal life. But also, I am so annoyed with how this topic is presented. Like for year after year, it's just always like either a scary alien invasion bug movie you know or something it's just bad it's really bad and and i have to say this like i present all the hypotheses on the ufo connector although i heard one that i haven't added yet about these being disembodied living things don't know how to explain that one yet we'll maybe (laughs) add it but anywho so when i did that I decided I'm not taking anything off the table. I think one of the things that will still be on the table is some of these things that we're seeing are man-made and the CIA admitted that they hid one of their, you know, uh, spy planes, let's say that, 
Um, I can't remember what it's called right now, but they hit the spy plane under the guise of it being a UFO. They let people think it was a UFO. And that's interesting, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, a lot of these, like the SR-71 was probably responsible for a number of, you know, UFO sightings. And th these things were in action probably 10 years before uh, we, we actually knew it existed. So there's that element, too, you know, where uh, a lot of these pro these black projects are, are active. And you don't know really what's in the sky, but once you start whittling that down, you start eliminating that, there starts to become a much, at least in my opinion, a much more interesting story. Yeah. Um, people also don't know that we had drones back. Uh, they were testing mm -hmm. drone technology as early as the 1930s. Yeah. Um, we deployed the first drone in the 1960s. You know, up until the last 20 years, maybe it's become a part of our, our, our cultural uh, zeitgeist that, you know, it's in our vocabulary now, but the eighties or nineties, you talk to somebody about unmanned drones, it's sci-fi. Yet mm -hmm. they've been operating for decades before. Um, right. If people don't study this topic, they're not going to learn that we literally created our own flying saucer. Granted, it was basically a giant hover car that got about two feet off the ground and that was it. But they also created the flying platforms, which they had to tether because they were so dangerous. And those were cool, man. They looked cool. Like, you don't know that if you don't study this topic. And that's real history. The real history yeah. is fascinating. Yeah. And, like, speaking of, like, the Horton brothers uh, and their flying wing, which was an integral part in, uh, in our book, um, we basically follow the entirety of Project Sign over seven or eight issues. And the court, the flying wing comes up in a lot of these documents because back in World War II, there were two plants there um, under Allied control where the the Allies actually they went through them, and, and you know the Germans like they they were losing. They they found out the Allies were pretty much not going to endure, so they tried to destroy everything and leave it behind. Uh, but they found some really gnarly stuff, and the flying wing was one of them, uh, which was ahead of its time. You know, like it, it had a lot of issues, but because it, it needed it needed time to develop. And what we see now is our our stealth bomber is basically a flying wing that you know looks very similar to Horton wing. I'm not saying it's the same design, but it's definitely been influenced by this. And and you know, aerodynamically, the principles were already there. And I'm super amused because the U.S. Air Force recently posted a photo of it upside down. <laughs> it's just like flying upside down. They're like, look what we can do. <laughs> They're just boasting yeah, it, now. <laughs> it's a beautiful aircraft. I, it's it, if the Horton brothers are alive, they you know I'm sure they would uh, not just be very proud, but like feel very vindicated. Right, and honestly, I just I feel bad for people who aren't looking at this because there's just there's so much treasure in this topic. Um, and that's not even, you don't even have to go woo. You don't even have to go to the other spiritual stuff. Like, just the, the history. So amazing. Yeah, the, the Russian paranoia, too. I mean, just like, let, let's take all the UFOs out of it. Just the way that the our government, our military, was so paranoid about what was going on in the Soviet Union. Because it's basically, I mean, it, it, it's a gigantic piece of land. I don't know exactly how many kilometers off the top of my head, but like, it was basically a giant black hole where we didn't know what they were up to. We knew they, um, when did they detonate their first bomb? I think it was in 48, they detonated the first nuclear bomb. 
Um, but like we we had no idea what they were capable of, right? And so that the paranoia and the walls of the Pentagon and like you know uh, things like where there was an operation in I believe in '46 where uh, they they took two thousand German scientists and their families and you know they shipped them off to different parts of Russia overnight. Uh, and the Allies caught wind of this and they're like, what the hell? Like, you know what I mean? And they took over, uh, you know, they took over a manufacturing plant as well. So The fact that uh, we had Nazis helping us get into space, like this is one of the Nazis was literally a spokesperson for Disney. Right? Yeah. Von Braun. Like, and like the people don't realize we got into space because we were using rockets that were previously bombing other countries during World War II. Like, that's how yeah. we got into space. Like, they took the V2 program and expanded it. And you don't know that if you're not interested in learning about this history, interested in White Sands, interested in any of, like, what we find out, because we are interested. I'm, like, smiling so hard because that the um, we open up, like, in issue one, we opened up with Kenneth Arnold sighting. Um, in issue two, we're actually opening up with the White Sands sighting, and we go through that history of the V2 rocket program, where mm -hmm. what it was used for, and you know, it was a very inefficient program. They they um, it it wasn't accurate enough, and again, it wasn't. It was because they were ahead of their time, basically, and they were trying to perfect it. Uh, but we brought those rockets over, and we started sending it out in space at White Sands to take spectrographs of the sun. Then we we got our first image of the planet because we sent up one of those V2 rockets with a camera. And so that's the first image of the planet from outer space. So it's a very interesting part of history. Like, like we were on a, on the cutting edge, on the frontier of just like, uh, of, of the unknown at that point, you know? And yeah. interestingly enough, White Sands had their own sightings around the time, so. I know, I was gonna say, for, for people who didn't know, in the midst of all of those trials, while they were putting rockets up and all that, even the people who did start working with actual weather balloons saw UFOs and reported them. And mm. they were saying, this is not what we're working on right now. There are UFOs hanging out, checking out what we're doing. So <laughs> that's part of UFO history, guys. It's White Sands got a lot of attention and still does to this day. Yeah, I mean, uh, White Sands is White Sands. It, it's it's got a place in my after doing the research on it, it's it's definitely got a place in my heart. Um, especially that's the case with the two scientists and and one of their wives uh, when they were driving on the way there and they saw pretty much a disc. Um, it, and it, it's interesting to like a tidbit. A lot of um, a lot of people attribute these sightings to Kenneth Arnold because he saw it on June twenty fourth. Um, and they're like, oh, well, now everyone's seeing it because this guy said it, his name's in the paper, it's in the cultural zeitgeist. Um, my favorite case, personally, uh, and I love talking about this case because it's so obscure, there was one that happened earlier that year uh, over the course of three months, and I think it's incident number 79 in Project Blue Book, um, where basically it was a U.S. Weather Bureau agency, and they were they were releasing piebald balloons and, and, and looking at them through theodolite, like an instrument that, that, that can kind of uh, look at it a little bit closer um, and charting out like, you know, like the altitude and things like that. On three separate occasions, a silver disc showed up 
uh, and they mentioned it to their superior officer there. I don't even want to say superior officer. I don't know how um, how exactly strict they were because it's a it's a weather bureau agency, not really a, a military base. But I think his name was Walter Minchevsky. Saw a silver disc three separate times through the satellite, through an instrument, and this was before anybody was talking about discs. And he mentioned it, and he has a case file open in Project Blue Book, which is still unidentified. Um, but they interviewed him later in the 80s, and they're like, hey, can you tell us what you saw? Same exact description, chrome, metal disc. Um, but he was surprised that he actually had a case open in Project Blue Book because nobody ever talked to him about it. He never reported it past his superior there. So they thought it was uh, interesting enough to put into their, their study. And for me, it's just an awesome case because it's before all of this. It's not anyone's mind. Well, you know, when I was reading Rupert talking about Blue Book, it was fascinating to me on how many people had a case, had an incident, and still didn't report it to Blue Book. Mm. Or yeah. if they did, sometimes those documents would go further up the chain away from Rupert, and he admitted he didn't get to see what happened to those. Or some of them were literally thrown in a wastebasket because they thought they were so outrageous. Like, so people mm. hear about, you know, the 700 unknowns at the end of Blue Book, but they don't realize that this is actually only a fraction of the unknowns. Yeah. And uh, a lot of researchers like Ted Blocher, uh, Lauren Gross, they have these huge collections of these sightings, you know, like, um, maybe not necessarily the ones that got thrown out uh, at Blue Book, but just that they don't appear in any of these documents, and most of them are civilian. But this just goes to show, this was like 47. It was everywhere. I mean, flying all over the country, people were saying, and this is why the government was so shook. It was like, well, what if this is Russia? What if someone has something that we don't? All right, we need to figure out what it is. Is it a domestic project, maybe, that like we don't know about? Um, and... It, Again, another hidden chapter in American history that that people there's one specifically in July 4th, uh, E.J. Smith and uh, oh god, I forget the second pilot, but it was uh, it was a, a civilian craft. I think it was an airline. It was it was an airliner that was um, the guy E.J. Smith pretty much was known to joke about Kenneth Arnold, and uh, on takeoff he had a you know a joke with air traffic control like oh maybe I'll see a UFO out there or whatever. I think like 10 minutes into his flight, like seven discs come by and they see him for a good 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> like when he came down and gave his his uh, his account, he was shook, right? But it's just funny how like he was so like, this is a joke. And then he saw it for himself, you know? And it was corroborated by the co-pilot. Uh, and I believe it was corroborated by one other person on the plane. Um, and again, this is someone that is in charge of an airliner, of you know, of flying passengers from plane A to plane B, which if you're gonna risk if all of you are gonna risk your career you know saying this i i have to kind of think that you're you're not full of it you know so tom can you tell us what shape you saw what object did you well or light i know that a lot of these are lights or plasma or maybe even living beings that's what some people think can yeah. you tell us what you saw? Are you willing to share that? Yeah. Uh, 
there's two in my in my life where one just doesn't make sense and i think one uh, one is much more practical the first one when i was a kid um i remember looking over at my building with my parents and uh we were in brooklyn and clear sky and i, I like it, it's weird because I, I look up and we're on the same block as the building i look up and i see a gigantic like ufo right by the building and no one else saw it and i saw it maybe for like a split second or something but it was so vivid i still remember it to this day so i don't know if that's like my overactive imagination as an eight-year-old or whatever it was um, but i just do know that that left such an impression on me that i just naturally gravitated to things like shows like the x-files or you know like anything that, that's kind of you know, I, I, I hear a lot of people dismiss their sightings right and I'm thinking, if you saw something prosaic, you wouldn't have that response. You wouldn't. Because how many people see planes and just go about their day and never really think about it, right? It's true. But I mean, like, this this would have to have been hovering. Like, everyone would have been able to see it, you know? Which is why I'm kind of like, okay, maybe this is my imagination or whatever. But it, it, it just left such an impression on me. But the second sighting um, was uh, we were camping in 20, I believe 2012, uh, 2012, 2013 at Cherry Springs State Park, which is great night sky. I go there every year with friends to camp and do astrophotography and kind of look at the, uh, the it, it's a dark sky park, so there's no lights allowed in 30 miles. It's great. You see everything. Um, we're all sitting down on a stump and this like green, I, I guess I, I can call it an orb. It was like a green circular light just like on the horizon moving above the trees. And we've seen shooting stars. We've seen satellites up there. Like we know what we're looking at. Um, and it was kind of was moving around slowly and then stopped and just started moving left and then right and then up. And kind of like it, it got to a point where we're all looking at it. No one said anything. And my friend Kenneth just blurted out are you guys seeing this <laughs> and it was like a moment of validation no one wanted to say anything but we're all like yeah what the hell is that um and it was just like a really cool green orbish light um that just moved in a very like it was very controlled you know but it was also extremely high up extremely bright and just kind of went away and that was it it was very subtle but we were like holy crap we that i don't know what that was <laughs> Like I have no explanation. Did it did it make you kind of want to look into Project Twinkle? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, when I found out later, what Project Twinkle was about. I, I I don't know because Project Twinkle, it could have been something related to that. Um, I don't Twinkle's know if you guys another... are aware, listeners. Project Twinkle they studied green orbs, and that was um, pretty early on in in the history of. UFO research, so to speak. I wish I knew more about it. Um, Sean Rash has investigated and spoken about that a bit. Um, but it was one of the projects separate from like Project Sign and, um, you know, Blue Book and all, and Grudge. It was something else that the government was looking at. Yeah. And like, I think, I, I believe they were looking into a meteorological phenomenon. Um, which is very interesting because now you get into 
well, what is that? You know, um, because this topic can get very nuts and bolts. And I love nuts and bolts. I love the research. I love that kind of stuff. But since actually coming on UFO Twitter, I've been exposed to a lot of different ideas from uh, from really credited people like Gary Nolan and um, and others in the community that have opened my mind to, okay, there's it seems to be a lot of things happening. It's not just nuts and bolts. Um, maybe there's more than one thing happening at the same time. Maybe some of it is psychogenic. Uh, maybe you know, some of it is very anomalous and, and paranormal in a sense. It's just, for me, it's very hard to parse that out. So I do tend to focus more on the nuts and bolts stuff because at least that I can cross-reference and verify. Well, for me, I make the woo nuts and bolts. <laughs> it, make, it makes some people crazy, but I'm like, okay, so there's a part of the brain that's probably an antenna, which makes sense because they're probably using technology to interact with it. And, you know, they're using EM to do all these weird things. Like even um, when people were talking about going through walls, I immediately was looking up quantum tunneling and how it was possible, like in a physical nuts and bolts way. Yeah, it's, it's all very fascinating. I do think a lot of this is going to end up being very related to each other. Um, and that that's going to be very interesting. Unfortunately, I'm going to have to do a lot more research on that side. Um, when I was younger, I I, um, I had the, uh, the fortune or misfortune of finding a guy named David Wilcox, uh, who uh, kind of is one of these personalities when you're younger that will um, present, like, he'll have, uh, he'll have a presentation at Conscious Life Expo or something like that. And uh, it got me in a way where a couple of years later, you realize, oh, my God, this guy is gripping. Um, and it really leaves an impression on you. So I, I tend to be very careful. And I think also why I'm doing Estimate is kind of a response to that. Um, but it just... It, I don't know what my point about this was, but I think I'm trying to say that the field is very, uh, there's a lot of booby traps. Um, and you have to really, really be your own BS detector and really follow up on some people's claims. Right. So this reminds me of one of the only times that I've tweeted Mick West. He, would, he was putting some of the Billy Meyer photos out, which, you know, everyone looks at them and goes, those are not, oh. come on, yeah. seriously. Like, that's clearly some, like, ornaments that have been spray-painted. <laughs> and then he threw the object in the air and took a photo. Come on. And then I, I basically said, okay, I think that's the low-hanging fruit for a debunker right there. And are you going to do George Adomsky next? You know? <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> yeah. Th that's, look, Mick West, people like Mick West are healthy for the ecosystem. They really are. My issue with Mick West is I don't think he's acting in good faith. I think... It's at the point where I think he's just trying to get on Ancient Aliens as, quote unquote, the skeptic or that type of show. Because um, if he really wanted to, why go to Billy Meyer? Why why, why pick this low-hanging fruit? Um, uh, like some of these spotlights that, that were cited recently, he picks them apart. And it's like, yeah, okay, Mick, we're on you. We don't disagree with you on that. But then why don't you look at like the, the Delver Newhouse UFO footage in Tremonton? Uh, I, I don't know how to pronounce it, but in Utah. In 1952, where the Navy spent a thousand man hours trying to figure out what this what was on video, uh, then they went to the Air Force, 
the Navy concluded that this was intelligently controlled. And it's like a bunch of, for people who don't know, it's a bunch of um, silver objects in the sky that uh, start moving parallel to each other and start branching off in a way that I, I, I mean, maybe today we can do that, but there's no way like you would be able to do that 75 years ago. Um, and it was a, it, it was a source of like a serious investigation. It's like, okay, Mike, why don't you go to something like that? Tell I'm I'm willing to be wrong, right? I'm willing to be proven wrong, but why are you picking the lowest hanging fruit? I know. I, I, I called him on it. I don't know. Like, I just, I keep telling him I want to talk to him. Actually, I want to know what his motivation is. I want to understand why he's so obsessed with debunking and how even though people give him counter arguments, he just goes on forward with his own. Now, granted, he has been right sometimes. There have been burns. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I am totally aware of how many things people can mistake this for, including Venus. You know, <laughs> like obviously, if you are intelligent at all, and most of the community is extremely intelligent, then oh, yeah. you know that there are other things that could possibly be, and you do the research and rule it out. So if you've done the research and you've rolled it out and you're still saying, look, this is what I saw. It was super strange. It did some really weird things. Some really weird things happened to me. I even have scars and burns and, you know, something weird really happened. And they might even say there's like traces on their land, et cetera, et cetera. Then maybe it's time for people to be listened to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also a lot of people, you know, they get very, um, and this is on both sides, it almost becomes uh, a religion where, um, for me personally, if I find, find out something's not real, or it has a prosaic explanation, great, okay, cool, that means I can move on. Let me look at the next one. I don't want to spend any more time on this, right? Um, it almost serves as like a, a filter. And the same thing on the other side, people will just ignore every point you have and be like, no, it's it's not it's not a ufo it's not real you know yeah so. but you know what i always say you only need one ah, yeah you but only had. need one to actually not be human made not be a quote natural atmospheric phenomenon or you know be space debris or whatever other excuse be a bird you only need one and there have been thousands upon thousands upon thousands just reported reported in the foyers mm. and then thousands upon thousands upon thousands that were never reported anywhere and then let's look at the whole world we are not yeah. just talking about the united states there are bajillions of people seeing them in other cultures it's just a given you know like i heard this story someone was saying i love being in my country because we just announce ufos like it's the weather <laughs> that'd be kind of nice uh i mean yeah it, it's a global phenomenon and i think that's why um i really love this topic because it, it it's a global phenomenon no matter who you voted for in any election, uh, where where you came from, what kind of person you are, this transcends all of that and has the ability to make you understand that there's something more than you, something bigger than you. And from there, you can form a new understanding of the world, a new understanding of your relationships to other people and really bring people together. Um, and I think that's really important for the community to understand, uh, not understand, but to remember that this is bigger than all of us. And 
this is really, uh, you know, it, it can be a uniting force, uh, like globally. Um, and like you and said, you know what, that one. brings us to one of the more exciting news bits of today that the effort of Project Titan to go to the UN and get the UN to really pay attention to the UFO topic was successful in the first stage today. They have another stage in September, um, but the first step has been successful. Yeah, I was reading about that. I think from my understanding, they have to vote on it in the second stage. Uh, um, I'm not too sure, but this is, I, this, I think Jack Vallee has been on this front for a while where I, I, he, um, he was trying to basically galvanize a sort of uh, uh, transparency or, or, or something to bring forth to the UN. Um, so this is really interesting because like you have that in the UAP report that came out uh, recently, which a lot of people say is a nothing burger, but you read in between the lines, it, it's, uh, there's substance there. There's a lot of substance. So things seem to be really picking up and in a way where it's just opening up the dialogue and the conversation about it. And that's really exciting because like before it was like, there's no, we don't have a conversation about these things ever on an, on a national stage or on a, on a global stage. Now it's like, oh no, hold on. Let's talk about it. So it's, it's awesome. And it's, what's funny is if you pay attention, like if people, I, I, I often feel like people in the United States don't like to pay attention to other countries as much. It's, I don't know what it is. I'll give you an example real quick. I brought a friend who had lived in both Russia and Israel to meet my oh, wow. friends when he came to the States to visit. And no one wanted to know about the two countries he'd lived in. They just wanted to know what he thought of the United States. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, in this day and age, I, I'm always very surprised when someone wants to know something about somebody else and not themselves. Um, just 2022, 2023, excuse me. Um, but yeah, it's a very American mentality, uh, a me, me, me sort of mentality. You know, not everybody's like this, but um, it's, just, it's just nice now that like the, the doors for the conversation are opening up past America right now. You know, like, uh, let's say we have the UN and actually take this seriously. Okay, let's talk to Brazil about what happened in Virginia, right? There's a body of evidence there. Let's get to the bottom of it, you know? Maybe maybe it didn't happen. Maybe it wasn't real, right? I personally don't think so. I think I, I think the, the work that James Fox has done on it is really, really incredible. But um, let's just get to the bottom of it, right? And, like, have a dialogue about it. Um, let's talk. Yeah, I mean, there's there's... Oh, there's sightings all over the world that like we can bring up and be like, hey, what, do you what really think happened about here? Polaris. Uh, I, I really like it. I have to look more into it to uh, to actually like it. I will say this: I like it a lot more than Roswell. Um, I think it stands on its own a lot better than Roswell does. Um, it's one of those cases that I haven't done my due diligence yet to actually like go in and, and really look into it. I know there's a bunch of uh, resources out there. I think Red Panda Koala has a, a documentary about it um, and it, uh, other people as well. So like I want to bite into it. Uh, on the surface, it looks better than Roswell. Roswell, I dove into and I, I got to say I was disappointed. Um, I still think there's room 
for something to have happened there, but uh, it's no one seem to come to consensus on Roswell, the uh, the, the autopsy and the, the alien bodies that, that story came decades later um, and people have just been kind of expanding on it. It's yeah. yeah, I actually read an article called like creating a myth and it's based on Roswell. That's why I was mm-hmm. always on the fence. But here's the thing that leads credence to some of these things, in my opinion, um, not just Roswell, but some other cases that people have been pondering or, or just the reality of UFOs. The thing that leads, leads so much credence is those FOIA PDFs that are being put out are not being put out as unknown objects. They're being put out specifically as UFOs, mm-hmm. UFO PDFs. So there's a reason for that. Yeah, there was also, you know, Discs were mentioned in a lot of these FOIA documents uh, early on, and I think that the language that people used, like in uh, like Garrett's first estimate, um, oh man, I wish, let me see if I can pull it up. He basically says uh, a flying disc of some type has been observed. Uh, let's and sent, you know, like they sent it to AMC. AMC put, you know, got their opinion on it. That's the infamous Twining memo. Um, and then, you know, the Project Sign starts. Uh, but the entire time, I mean, there was also. Uh, I think the Twining memo went up to, to Shulgin and the Pentagon, who is uh, the director of intelligence over there. Um, then they sent a memo overseas through Seahorn, basically saying, "Be on the lookout for this. This is what it looks like: chrome disc with a top, with a um, with a dome top. These are its characteristics. Uh, can appear out of nowhere. Seems to disappear uh, instantaneously. Uh, it, it, the language makes no room for error as to like what people were seeing, which I think is so interesting. It's like it's not our people seeing things. It's what is this, right? So I, I always right. found that awesome. I also liked how there, to me, there was like a little bit of attitude with the NSA documents, like they were trying to like underline some things and mm-hmm. like circle things and kind of hint at something that is beyond what was in the document. And I think there were comments on some of the FOIAs that got scanned. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. A lot of the uh... The, the agencies themselves are fractured on the topic. Uh, as early as 47, you had a splintered Pentagon, basically you had one office that said, yeah, people are seeing things, it's probably Russian, right? And then the other side is like, no, it's these are, these, these are not from here, they're not from Russia. So you already had these combating views um, and I can't imagine that changed, you know, o- over time. So I think when you do things like this, it's, it's, it's something that we might not be privy to. Um, but they might be underlying it for specific reasons, you know? And let's be honest, if it was Russian, not only would we have seen it already in the war with Ukraine, but we would have they would have been bragging about it this whole time, guys. Like, you may not think current leaders would want to be so exposed, but back in the day, heck yeah, they, they wanted to brag oh, yeah. about all their tech, right? And this has been going on for years and years and years leader after leader someone would have bragged they would have brought it out and been like look at what we got just like you know china has a um one of their attempts at making a saucer there are pictures all over the web on it it doesn't look very good it's worth noting (laughs) it's not very (laughs) impressive it it's kind of uh i don't know awkward and heavy looking but 
the fact is they put it out on the web because they wanted to be like, look what we have, look what we made, you know? You can even find out about some of their drones now, like ones that you shouldn't know about. Like they make animal-shaped drones. Of course, that's going to be a problem for us, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's on the web. Like people can find this out. Just like they can find out that a certain place called Lockheed has been working on directed energy weapons. It's on the mm -hmm. web. Lockheed is very open. They've been working on small nuclear uh, powered sources for craft on the web. You can learn that DARPA has been working on controlling objects with your mind, along with several universities. You can even find out that the US Air Force recently prepared a lecture on metamaterials and electromagnetic breakthroughs. So like all of that is on the web, guys. Like just go look. It's all there. People are like, look what we can do. So if someone yeah. had a UFO, they would have shown it off. Yeah, it's really interesting. A lot of these things are 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 there for people to read and people like find out and dive into if you really want to look. Um and yeah, I mean if Russia had these back in 47, 48, like there's just it's not only would they say it um, that we wouldn't have survived the Cold War, you know, like the, we were the capabilities that were displayed and talked about in these reports are so far beyond anything that was capable at the time. And I, I am someone that thinks that the, on the like during the late 40s, early 50s, we don't get enough credit for how cutting edge we were with some of this technology. Uh, like, I mean, we were breaking this, uh, the sound barrier. Uh, then after that, like the sound barrier wasn't really uh that big of a feat i mean we were doing really awesome things uh and a lot of these things you're seeing today still like uh, be used um it's just upgraded so uh, yeah if it was russia and this whole thing with that that, that barnes article from the new york times uh, chinese drones and things it's such a cop-out it's like such a it's it's so lazy to say that um the only thing i will give someone like that is it's a little tougher today to discern what is an uh, an actual anonymous anomalous uh, UAP versus something that could be black tech from either our domestically or another country. Whereas in the late forties, it's very clear what we were capable of, and and the the sightings aren't as uh, congested. You know what though? <clears throat> the other thing that's interesting that helps lend credence to all of this is that other governments and military are saying this is real. And they wouldn't want to say that if it wasn't, like if it was at all embarrassing. And for many people, unfortunately, there has been stigma related to this topic. So it has been considered embarrassing. But we have countries like um, several countries in South America, including Brazil, having conferences with their senators you know, like mm -hmm. they're taking it very seriously. Mexico worked with their researchers on the case at least once. You know, the government works with UFO researchers. I'm saying that again. You know, like uh, Italy came out and talked about what happened with one of their helicopters. You know, some people don't necessarily believe it, but if it were not a serious topic to them they would not have been publicly talking about that they would there would not be a conversation and people forget that when it comes to france 
that's not civilians up there working on this topic. Like, mm-hmm. that's part of their government, guys. It's their government. And, oh, let's go back to our government. Guess what government is leading the charge on this right now, creating laws involving NASA, you know, which is a government agency, guys. <laughs> you know, like, um, doing the whistleblower protections. You know, there's something going on. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of what you're... A lot of the reason for for what you were saying is is because I don't think there's a stigma that was established by the government or those governments uh, in those countries, whereas the Air Force and the Navy uh, were on the forefront of basically, I mean, even the CIA, like of dismissing this topic and introducing a stigma associated with it, where it's like they, a lot of people, you know, a lot of people got harassed. They lost their jobs. Uh, some of them like Paul Benowitz. For example, like it got driven to suicide, you know, um, because he was led to believe one thing and believe another thing. Like it's because he didn't know. It's because there was no transparency about this. And I don't, I don't want to. I'll be, I'll be honest. I don't blame. I don't. I'm very careful about Benowitz. Okay, mm-hmm. a lot of us are obsessed with UFOs and are not committing suicide. We cannot just blame what happened because of government influence. I mean, I've spoken to government guys too, and I'm still here. <laughs> no, so. that's, that's that's true. It's but there, there's a lot there's a lot less transparency in in um, in our country about it uh, because there's been this kind of lid put on it. Um, and like someone like Benowitz, like you know, it's it's unfortunate. Like some people will again because of the lack of transparency will um, come to certain conclusions or believe they're crazy or just lose their grip on reality. And again, there's no open discussion about it. So, like, I think um, people like that are vulnerable to to that. But I uh, I really don't like the um, just uh, the stigma that's associated with this topic is directly because of the Air Force's uh, PR campaign. Yeah, and, you know, it, there's no way of getting around that. And it's like, all right, now all these things are coming up. What do you do for the last 75 years? Like, do you just start at 2017? I'm like, oh, yeah, no, we're starting investigating seriously. Or do you actually admit, hey, we made a mistake uh, about how we handle this? And that opens up the Pandora's box to a lot of things. And and it's crazy because people don't know that it was 100% started just so they wouldn't get as many calls. Like, yeah, they don't, because... they literally just felt overwhelmed with how many people were reporting the UFOs. So they decided to tell people you know that they're crazy like you know that it's it's not a big deal you guys are imagining it and it worked like a charm because no one wanted yeah. to believe it no one wants like people were freaking out with orwell's radio show war of the worlds yeah. right like people don't want it to be um something that's happening um for the most part other people are like you know take me to your leader but uh <laughs> like <laughs> It's freaking out the the everyday person, but it's so fascinating. Like this is something I wanted to bring up because this is something I really mull over. Why do we have such a hard time accepting it? Because for instance, we are doing fantastical things with airplanes and in the ocean and in space. Why is it so fantastical to think someone else or something else can do that? 
Like, we're doing it. We, like, have a helicopter on Mars. Right? We have the freakiest critters on this planet. Like, some of the freakiest looking things. Mm. Um, It's just, it boggles the mind. Like, if I were to show people some of the animals on this planet and tell them that they were aliens that someone made with CG, people would believe that. And be like, well, it's CG, blah, 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 you know, but, but, but it, they're real. And if I just say, hey, these are real, this was in like Nat Geo or something, they're like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> like, not a big deal. It's so freaky, but cool. It's a real thing, whatever. Like, people have this weird, like, immediate dissociation when it comes to like talking about non human intelligence. I just I think it's because I mean again the stigma associated with it. Uh, anytime you bring it up, you think, "Oh, crazy guy in the basement, uh, X Files music, things like that." But also, uh, you know, our culture specifically here in the states um, is very inward, um, and you kind of don't. You're looking at a, like a very narrow lens where it, it is a lot of me, me, me. Um, that and I guess the idea of not actually knowing that there's something out there that might be higher up on the food chain, so to speak, however you want to, you know, say that, that can be very, uh, very sobering. And I also think that might be why the government acted in this way, where they, they couldn't get their hands around it, their arms around it quick enough. And what do you tell people? Yeah, there's this thing out there and we can't do anything about it. You know, like, <laughs> what, what's that going to do? See. I don't even fully get that because the, some of the most popular religions in the world are based on sky. Well, all of them are based on sky gods or mm -hmm. beings in UFOs. Like both. Yes. Like even <clears throat> the Old Testament, God was not nice. <laughs> God was a beast, you know, yeah. so to speak. There were yeah. lots. There were a lot of uh, people getting smited so to speak or having to sacrifice to god right and then the new testament you know there's a man walking on water talking about you know having to you know die and then come back to life you know like all this yeah. stuff like heal people yeah right and you know there's just there's like angels that are you know, impregnating virgins, you know, whatever. I don't know, like God impregnated a virgin, whatever. Like there's so much stuff that sounds so out there and everyone's all into it. But as soon as you say, oh, alien, like you could tell the exact same story as the virgin birth, just add the yeah. word alien and suddenly no one wants to hear it. That, so that is a really good point you bring up. And like, I think about this a lot and I, I think the difference is, and you're finding that now with experiencers today who've had an experience that changes them so profoundly, there's like this spiritual, almost emotional connection to it. So I think with religion, there's this, this level of spiritual connection. Uh, like, let's say you, you go to a mosque and you, you, you pray every day or you go to a church or you go to on Sundays and you pray to God or, or whatever it is, there's a spiritual feeling that is to this day, people are still trying to figure out what that is. It, you know, is it all mental? Is there really something beyond what we see and what we feel? But more importantly, it's it's a feeling associated with it. So when you start looking at it from an analytical perspective, oh yeah, it's you know, it's the guys walking on water. Um, 
I don't think people who are religious hear that. They 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 see, believe, and feel as if it's a miracle, something outside, bigger than themselves, and they just they can viscerally feel that. And I think we we uh, there's a lot of experiencers now who have had an experience that is so out the norm. And Jack Vallee talks about this a lot, um, especially in Passport to Magonia. Like there's there there's something. It's such a visceral feeling that the experience itself doesn't even matter, right? It's it's how profoundly they they felt about it and are connected to it, to almost something bigger than themselves. Um, and they they carry that through. It's very similar to to religion, but I don't when I say that, I don't mean that it's not real. I don't mean to be make it smaller than it is. I just what I mean is it's a very powerful visceral impact on either the soul, the body, the mind, whatever, but it's there. So yeah, you call you it know. transformative often, right? And, yeah. and what I point out to people is also when you're praying and you're having that spiritual feeling, what differentiates that from someone who's meditating? You know, what, why is one getting ostracized and stigmatized and the other is not? You know, I, when I meditate, I also speak to God. It's not to mm. me praying, though. You know, so I feel like people need to stop and think about this. Why is one thing so unacceptable and another is not? Like, I, if I ever have someone who's super, super religious come at me about UFOs, which luckily I have not yet, I'm going to, I know the Bible. <laughs> Because <laughs> I was <laughs> I was raised Catholic, so I'm going to have some questions for them. I'm going to be like, please explain to me this devil <laughs> in the Bible. <laughs> like, how is that different <laughs> from what I'm talking about? Like, you know, what are the differences between demons and aliens? Let's talk about this. You know, like what what might be the same? Actually, you know, I just feel like the story of humanity. It's being retold with lots of different verbiage, but remains the same story. I, th I think that's exactly it. Like it's the vocabulary. Let's say you take someone who prays at a mosque uh, daily and so, like a reverend who's at a church daily, right? Um, and, and, a, and a monk that let's say meditates daily, put all three of them in a room. They use different words, like, and maybe the technique is somewhat different, um, but you take away the words, praying, meditating, uh, what have you, take all that away. I can almost guarantee you each one of them has the same feeling with whatever it is they're connecting to. And that's really like, that's what it's about. And I think once we start using vocabulary in that sense where, no, it's this, or it's this, or this is the right way to do that. Like that's when we get into trouble, but at the base yeah. of it, it's all the same. I have a funny story about this. So I took a philosophy of religion class and they, you know, philosophy likes to create like formulas with words. And mm -hmm. one of them was like, why God exists? I think it was the ontological argument or something like that. I simply took the word God out and put in unicorn. <laughs> and I'm like, there we go. Unicorns now exist. I am satisfied. <laughs> yeah yeah but you know it, it's it's one of those things where like all right uh let's say someone doesn't believe in unicorn 
um, and it's real to them. Does the fact that it's a unicorn make a difference versus the the feeling or the connection that they have to it? And you can make an argument towards that. Uh, yes, it does, or no, it doesn't. But I, I find that part of the conversation very fascinating because I think we're just, I think all of us are so much more alike than we want to admit. And we're, we're trying to find ways to be different, but we're really the same. And arguably, the unicorns did exist, guys. <laughs> Jack Belay said so at his lecture for Archives of the Impossible. He explained that people probably basically engineered unicorns to protect cattle. Okay, so unicorns existed. And they were not, that wasn't the only the only example you know there were other examples that other people have cited of animals that probably were considered unicorns and so on and so forth mm. one thing i've learned in studying this is that if we discount for instance an oral history where someone has said they've seen something really unusual um to us then we're discounting a fact possibly so i watched a ted talk with someone who um, was an indigenous Australian. And she spoke about how her people had passed down the story of a creature that they had seen. And people were telling them that that was insane or whatever, it wasn't a real thing. And then sure enough, someone discovered that a certain species had existed in that area that was one of those prehistoric animals. So her people passing down that story were probably talking about that animal. Yeah. So, you know, I think the same thing that happens when people look at cryptids. You know, you have to listen to the oral history. And then you're going to find out how that is going to connect possibly to the reality. And reality is something that is another issue that we're still trying to grasp now, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But we we can't okay so you know to summarize because like i could go on and on and on about this like i'm so baffled by you know the ongoing lack of open-mindedness okay but in summary we've talked about how we need to pay attention to the spiritual we've talked about how we need to pay attention to the science and the scientists um we've talked about paying attention to our actual history which is amazing. And we've talked about paying attention to experiencers who are witnesses, right? Um, mm -hmm. we need, and we've talked about just keeping it all on the table. Yeah, and it, all, it has to be on the table. Uh, you have to all have it all on the table and, and we will have a conversation about it. You right. know, otherwise, where do you go? And what wise person said this long before us youngins came in and said it? Belay. Belay said the same thing. <laughs> Keep it on the table. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> you want to come right for us? <laughs> um, I just want to say also, though, just for the fun part is when we have our own theories. I think that's like the icing on the cake. You know, it's just like when we look at the reality of what's really going on. We see there's a lot of ingredients in it. But the icing is when we get to just have fun saying, what do we think it is? I think that's yeah, what, fun. Yeah, what if is like one of the most amazing uh, the combination of words you can have, you know, uh, because it opens up an idea of possibilities and, and your imagination. 
one of the things that frustrates us with estimate of the situation, um, not that it's frustrating, but we are pretty much, we have to stick to the historical record. We, there's, there's very little room for us to kind of deviate away from that, where it would be awesome to take a lot of these ingredients and write a story that is more of a what if, you know, um, and expand that. And uh, again, like without, without that kind of sentiment, without the kind of what if, like, yeah, you don't get new ideas, you know, it's just always expanding on the previous and the previous. Right. And I'll, and I'll tell you though, like Gary Nolan recently said, he's not so interested in the who, uh, related to who's flying the, the objects around. Um, he wants to know why I want to know who I want to know who <laughs> like that's, I'm all about the who I'm like yeah. when, when, uh, on a toe, Lou Elizondo mentioned something about occupants and getting biomaterials. I was listening very carefully. I know he backpedaled mm -hmm. on it late, later. I think he got in trouble. Um, but I want to know about the occupants. That's what I'm really intrigued about. Like, this is not the most intriguing thing. And there's so many intriguing things necessarily. It's not the most intriguing. But... I want to know. That's what I want to know. I mean, I, I I think it's very intriguing. And I think that the that's why this topic is also so, like, once you get into it, you know, like, there's so many things about it. And it really speaks to, to whoever is, is looking into it to be like, do I want to know who or why or what? It's, it's all there. And, you know, I want to know who, I want to know what, and I want to know why. I have my theories. Um, but it's, it, it, it's just all so fascinating. Um, yeah, and like again, being exposed to UFO Twitter like has opened the doors for like so much more information for that that's coming in through my through my lens now. Where I'm meeting so many people who are smarter than me, who are more articulate than I am, who have a lot to present, um, and it's been really, really kind of a blessing. Because I, uh, for instance, I was at New Year's Eve, the some party somewhere, and they're like, "Oh, you do a graphic novel? What's it about?" Oh, UFO is really cool, and I'm like. Yeah, yeah. Did you know in '47, like this happened, and so and so were involved, and blah blah blah, and the UAP report now, and you just get like that look, like okay, <laughs> and they walk yeah. away. Whereas I've active... been thinking about what book to give my family because they know that I'm interested in this topic. I'm very careful now not to mention it too much. Um, my dad used to work for the Pentagon, and he told me, "Do not talk about this." Oh gosh. <laughs> seriously you, I, but i, I, I was thinking it's going to be kelly's book i think kelly's book is the first one i'm going to hand over because kelly i think has a very approachable way to talk about it and then if i were trying to like be cool your book would go to my son a hundred percent like i want to oh. be cool he needs <laughs> the book right so I might need two copies of your book eventually, but he's going to want that. He he likes to hear me talk about this, but, but like, when I, would, comes, I would love to send it over. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he would, he would love it. Um, I'm to be clear. I mean, graphic novel. I'm just going to say <laughs> that. <laughs> it's it, technically it's, it's 64 pages. The coolest thing about doing this on our own. I mean, it's been very trying. Like I, uh, uh, I'll just put it out there. I make no money from this. I I am so in the in the red, um, and uh, it's just uh, the time, the production, 
um, you know, paying the artists involved, uh, getting it to print. Um, and then also like we gave back 10% to Wounded Warrior because uh, we met you, uh, Shane from UFO Twitter and like, Yay. yeah, he, he told us how this like, changed his life. And it's like, okay, there's no way we can't use this somehow as like a vehicle to, to, to maybe give, you know, Wounded Warrior some, some money. Um, but uh, what was my point? Um, like we, we don't really make any money on this yet, but we do want this somehow to uh, be a little more mainstream. And yeah. it's just because we want people to actually like be armed with the information or at least the, the, the curiosity, weaponize their own yeah. curiosity. You know? Yeah, okay. I'm going to go with you and Jeremy Corbell with that. I know that weaponize the curiosity. I recognize that. But I, it's so sad when you see a video of someone making macaroni and cheese and not in like a serious, I'm going to teach you how to make mac and cheese way, but like just goofing around. That video gets 5 million views, but a video explaining to humanity, FYI, we're not alone. It's like three hundred <laughs> to twenty thousand, maybe at the most, right? Yeah. Like it, seriously, it's it's a cultural zeitgeist. It's I mean, it, it's it, it's um, it, this will speak to more people the more legitimacy it gets out in the open, and I think we, we'll see those views bumped up a lot. Um, I personally think we're all kind of on the forefront of something really cool, and everyone else is going to have to catch up, and it'll be really fun seeing their wide eyes for the first time. Um. Oh, and my point before as to us being an indie publisher is this is we're able to cram in 64 pages as opposed to 22 um, from a regular uh, industry comic book or graphic novel or something like that. So like we really we really give something that you can digest on for a while. Um, and I, I think that's going to be key. It's going to be digestible content that's like packed with information. Um, and so you know what? Maybe they, you know, like that video only gets 20,000 views, 30,000 views, and the macaroni gets like 5 million. Those 20,000 people, maybe 10,000 of them, half of them or a quarter of them now are like, oh, shit, let me, let me look into this, you know? And who knows right. what they're going to do? Who knows what they're going to go out and create? And like, maybe, you know, it's, it's one of those like web effects. It'll, it'll exponentially get better, you know? I think people will be more informed. I think Dan Warren was very smart with doing TikTok. I think you're very smart for making, you know, a graphic novel. Um, I made the UFO connector because I felt there was a need for us to organize all the data that's all over the web, which I'm not nearly done with. I haven't, I've slowed down quite a lot with updates on it because it's been overwhelming lately and I've not been well and the holidays and all that, but there are things that we all need to do. Like I'm trying to help with the medical coalition, right? There's so many things I was surprised were not being done. <laughs> you know, like the yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it's it's like the audio things we talked about earlier. Like we need more audio things for people who are busy. Like I would like to hear hermetic penetrators and omega points loose threads in an audio form hint hint if you're listening anyway so, 12 hours yeah to, i i know Good. someone who would do it for them i know a couple of people who would do it for them easily so yeah because you know back to us not making money <laughs> i don't make money doing this podcast i don't make money when i go to a conference that 
you know, quite cost me quite a lot to go to because even yeah. though I can drive in three hours, I have to pay for parking and so on and so forth. I don't make money um, with calling all beings because we don't try to monetize. We don't do uh, those things where people get super chats. Thank you. Super chats. That's it. We don't do that. Um, we're in it for the adventure and the passion. You know, we think we're yeah. trying to help humanity open their eyes to something or reopen their eyes. Because I think humanity used to know this better. Yeah. Um, I think humanity used to know this. I think some of humanity still does. Actually, I think the majority of humanity still does. It's just the United States and some Western cultures, as they say it, don't get it. Um, but other cultures have always understood this. We haven't even talked about Africa. We need some people mm. from Africa to come up and talk because some of the most intricate stories are from Africa. Uh, Zimbabwe, aerial school, Father yeah, Gil, yeah. that was Africa. There was a researcher who covered all of South Africa who wrote lots and lots and lots of journals just like APRO did and MUFON. You know, uh, there's a lot going on. Egypt is in Africa also, by the way, everyone. Egypt yeah, I mean, I is in Africa. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of stuff going on. India. Oh, India had so many cool oh, rich, stories. Rich. Yeah, rich with history. I mean, like that's the like Africa is the, the the cradle of civilization. You know, like and that that's you know that goes in line with a lot of what you were saying. Like, oh, well, we need more audio uh, versions of this so people can can hear it. And you know, like other forms, it, it's about a community. It's about community providing this, right? It's, it's just tools that we can all use um, and, and and give to each other. And you know, like we do need more voices from around the world. I mean, like if you talk to most people involved with this topic here in the States. They think this is strictly a United States thing, right? They, they don't know too much about what goes on around the world in terms of these sightings and experiences and things like that. We do need more of an international uh, community. And, and that, that goes to, again, providing the tools, a lot of involvement, um, you know, like, like arming people with information. And I think the UN, you know, this is presented from the UN, this will be a really good step towards that. Um, and just, we have to remember that this is, again, bigger than all of us. So we have right. our differences, but. And how fascinating is it that in the middle of their war, the Ukraine is trying to let us know that some more UFOs have been seen. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, that's how serious like they are. They're like, yeah. they had stuff set up before the war. Like I have Ukraine on my list of international organizations and I have a lot of countries, including several in Africa and everywhere, guys, everywhere, everywhere I've looked, I found something. Yeah. Um, I haven't finished looking because there are so many countries, <laughs> but the, the point is like, even in the middle of a war, they're like, check it out we got some ufos guys and like they there are people in ukraine now posting on ufo twitter yeah yeah you know it's brought them and like that's the thing too like it's it's um uh it it the subject and the people involved it's a lot broader than people think um and with like something like that like sightings over like a, a war zone that's actually kind of been the mo like you talk to um or you read accounts of like world war ii you know people saw a lot of funky stuff 
Um, and it makes me beg the question, well, like, why, why are these seen over war zones? Um, why is there no intervention? Why does it just seem like they're looking? You know, it's, it, it opens up a whole load of questions that, uh, you know, we when might have to with. answer those questions in part two later on down the road. <laughs> I have a feeling that we're going to have a part two. Um, but yeah, there are lots of questions still, and it's fun to it's fun. Yeah. It's part it's of that fun to talk about it, right. That's part of the icing. So in the last couple, well, no, I'll I'll extend it like a few minutes, but we'll, real quick, just for fun, do some icing. What do you think they are? Well, besides all the fact that there's a ton of different things going on, what is your favorite hypothesis? Let me phrase it oh, that. Oh, my favorite hypothesis. Um, there's so many. Okay, so if anyone's ever played World of Warcraft, um, they or any sort of MMORPG, basically you have this, you control this avatar in this digital world and you, you move around and do things. There's a physics engine built into the game that you you can't walk on water because you'll drown or you can't go past this wall because there's a physical barrier there so you're not allowed to go there. Um, and it's coded into the game. Now, if you did something naughty or you were being a dick, uh, sometimes you would, encounter a moderator who would like either just teleport there on the spot and warn you or ban you or take you to purgatory somewhere else and like your account is in limbo um but these moderators seem to be able to break the rules of the game that that are, are coded for you but they don't have the same limitations so i personally if i had to put my money on something right now i think something similar is these whatever these things are it's something similar where it's these moderators basically checking us out uh probing our capabilities if it's a military thing um to make sure what we're capable of and kind of they're they're somehow bending the laws of physics that we have to subscribe to and they're able to do all sorts of things that we can't um, so That's i just think cool we're being watched. yeah it's you know and it, it's scary because it means we're being watched we're being observed we're not necessarily being reprimanded, not that we know of, but they're there. So we haven't had a moderator come down and ban us basically from an existence or put us in purgatory yet. But, uh, you know, if we're going to use that analogy, that's very, that's something that they'd be very capable of doing. Um, right. And for those religious folks out there, we used to call those angels. Yeah. <laughs> angels, gods, whatever, you know. I know. Again, the, I like that. That's fun. I like I like thinking of it as moderators. That's an interesting idea. I do play video games, so I'm glad I'm not an NPC. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, that's also what is an NPC? Like we might not know. Like birds might be NPCs. I don't. You know. <gasps> don't uh, say birds aren't real, please. No, uh, no, no, no. I I actually I I love I love the animal kingdom. I think it's so life is so fascinating, um, and you can learn a lot about yourself you know what? animals might be npcs but they might also hate the fact that we think that way they might be smarter than us have you seen the second avatar yet no no i haven't seen it yet no spoilers. okay we'll get back to the idea of animals as npcs after you see that movie okay <laughs> okay okay so in in the end here we are please tell people where they can find you 
Um, yeah, you can find me on uh, on Twitter at EOTS underscore comic. I, I post updates about our book um, and I post a lot of historical stuff. I'll retweet a lot of cool stuff from people like Jeff Knox or or uh, UFOB or, 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 or it's like I think it's really cool information. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at Instagram estimate of situation. And our website is uh, blacktielabs.nyc. Um, yeah, that's basically, I mean, that's basically where I'm at. Uh, we're sold out now. We have the Virginia cover, which is kind of a little more expensive. It's more of a fundraising thing than anything else. Um, but stay tuned because we have a lot of cool stuff coming up. And along with digital versions with an app um, that we're hoping that we can use to also onboard other people who have completed work and maybe distribute their work and sell them online digitally uh, via platform. Because um, I, I think that's missing. Your best bet now is like Amazon and they, they, they basically rob you for everything. Um, yeah. Okay, so thank you so much, first of all, for coming. Second of all, once you finish making your awesome app, and of course I plan on getting it, can you please help me develop a UFO dating app. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, because ever since Sean Ramirez spoke about the dating thing, I've been like, we need something like that in the community too. <laughs> Listen, I I will say I'm fully on board with that. I I'm known to actually like on dates. Uh, I'll be with a girl, and one of my first questions is always like, "Well, so yeah, UFOs. What do you think?" You know, and um, people are like you really talk about that i'm like yeah why not you know like like what else am i gonna talk yeah. about we need it we need it we, the community needs it i know some people who need it uh myself included so we gotta do it the community needs <laughs> us graphic design <laughs> on the fancy dating app yeah, yeah let's do it <laughs> i think i think under under it and i hope no one takes this the wrong way i'd probably put in my profile no Dodie, please. <laughs> I just don't want to hear about Dodie. <laughs> okay, so again, thank you so much for coming. I hope everyone is going to be jumping on board when Volume 2 comes out and when the first one is released with the color. I really appreciate your charitable work. I appreciate your time with me today. I really hope you come back and chat with me in the future. Um, what a great time for all of us in the UFO community. And uh, I will also say the paranormal community, because I'm trying to mm -hmm. remind our Bigfoot and ghost friends that we are all one community. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting no. times ahead. And um, for the listeners, thank you for listening. This is Deb from Deb's Data Dojo, part of the Calling All Beings podcast network. If you need me, I'm at Study of UAPs all over social media. I'm getting better at Instagram, finally. Uh, you can find me with Calling All Beings on YouTube at the UFO Connector or with the UAP Medical Coalition. Take care, everyone. Thank you again. This was awesome. This was beyond awesome.